All right, good evening. Welcome to the mine. We're so glad you're here. And again, we're just so thankful that you're being very patient with us until we get another room. Uh, thank you for being willing to, you know, cram in here like sardines every Tuesday night and, you know, get over, you know, walk over each other and whatever to get to your seat. We really appreciate, you know, again, your attitude and your patience with us. You know, we're hoping in the next week or two to be down the hall in that bigger room where we can spread out. Uh, but when we do that, I need to ask you a favor, and that is we really need to start promoting the mine. And I need you guys to help me with that, because then we're going to be in a room that's about, you know, twice this size, and we're going to have all this extra space, and we need to get the word out about this. And so I'm going to be talking to you more about that uh, in the days and weeks ahead. But we're glad you're here. I think we're going to have another great time with the Lord tonight. And of course, we want to prepare our hearts and worship the Lord tonight. So Seth is going to lead us here. Let's just, why don't we pray and ask God to meet with us tonight. And then I'm just going to turn it over to Seth. Lord, uh, we just thank you again for this time we could be here to worship you in, in music and, Lord, in study of your word. And Lord, use these next few moments, uh, Lord, as Seth leads us, to just really prepare our hearts to take us from whatever we've went through this day, and to begin to focus our minds and our hearts upon you. Uh, Lord, help us just to uh, just get rid of, of, Lord, whatever, Lord, is there right now that could distract us from gaining anything and everything that you have for us tonight. And just help us to just open ourselves up completely to you and say for the next hour, hour and a half, Lord, I'm completely yours. Just speak to me and just... Use this time to draw me closer to you, and we'll be careful to give you the praise, Lord, for all the great things that are going to come out of tonight, and we just believe and trust that there are going to be some great things come out of tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Seth. Thank you, Seth. Let's give Seth a big hand. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, folks, uh, we need every available seat tonight. Because uh, we've got more people coming, so, on the aisle, yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry, but this is a good problem, right? We are packing out this room, so, thank you guys so much. All right, all right. Thank you guys, again, we just so appreciate uh, flexibility, right? We're being Gumby, we're so flexible. All right. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's get into the Bible tonight. We're going to encourage you again. I think it's going to be an encouragement to you. Let me again just quickly, uh, each week stands on its own, but just as a reminder, this letter was written to a group of people who were being pressured to give in and give up. And they were going through a tremendously long trial. And uh, they needed some encouragement. And so that's primarily why the writer of Hebrews writes this letter to these folks. Well, you and I can identify. Because there's been times in our life where we've been pressured to give in and to give up. One of the things that we learned last week at the end of chapter 2 was this. Verse 18. That since He, Christ Himself, suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are tempted. And we saw the fact as we sort of closed last week that this just teaches us that Jesus Christ is continually able to help us and that He has the power 
and the willingness to be able to help us. It's not just enough to, you know, be able to help us, have the ability, have the fitness to be able to help us. He willingly wants to help us through those times in our life. That's why then when we come into chapter 3 tonight, notice he says, Therefore, based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is continually able to help us, based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has the power to help us, as we shared last week, you know, some people, humanly, they want to help us, but they don't have the power to help us. There's other people who, in a sense, may have the power to give us help, but they're not willing to help. The, the picture of Jesus here is not only one who can always help us, which again, human beings can't always be there when we need them, but He has the power and the willingness to be there. So then, that's why in chapter 3 He writes, Therefore, based upon that truth, holy brothers and sisters, partners in a heavenly calling, don't forget that. Christ always wants us to go up higher. Our calling is from heaven to heaven. The Bible says in Colossians 3.1, we are to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth. Jesus said, you know, uh, let not your treasure be down here on the earth. Let your treasure be spiritual things, eternal things. And I've shared with you before, there's only two things that we as human beings come in contact with on the earth that are eternal. The souls of human beings and the Word of God. Everything else that we come in contact with is not eternal. It's left behind. It's going to burn up one day or fade away or rust or corrupt or whatever. But human beings and the Word of God live forever. So every time you invest in a human being, every time you impact another life, every time you take time to study, read, memorize, get into the Word of God, you are making eternal investments. It's a heavenly calling. Because again, he's reminding these folks this, this, what you're going through is not all there is. You know, uh, there's a great glorious future awaiting us. And we talked a little bit about that. And then again, from last week, just a little bit. Take note of Jesus. Consider Jesus. The word in the original language means to give attention and continuous observation and regard. It means concentrate on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. When everything else seems fuzzy, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's going to make everything a little bit clearer when you just begin to focus upon Jesus. Focus on His life, His ministry, His character, His attributes. The fact that He's willing to help you. The fact that He's able to help you. The fact that He wants to continually help you. Take note of that and don't forget that. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to, to somehow neglect that and to, to let that slip. And so He says, always... Carefully observe Jesus Christ, the Apostle and High Priest whom we should be continually confessing. It's not just enough to have confessed Jesus Christ when I became a Christian and when I committed my life to Jesus Christ. It's very important that we confess our faith in Jesus Christ ongoing throughout our Christian life and not be ashamed of it. Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we should not be ashamed of the Savior that we follow. And from there on down through verse 6, basically what the writer of Hebrews is reminding the, these, them of and us of is the faithfulness of Christ. That Jesus Christ is faithful to you and to me. There might be times in our life where our faith in Him is shaken and, and maybe we don't think He's as faithful to us as He should be. And 
you know, he's not noticing what we're going through and he's not sympathetic or whatever. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, by faith, you trust Jesus Christ. He is able to help you. And he is faithful. And so you notice he compares the faithfulness of Christ here in this passage to the faithfulness of Moses. And the cool thing I like about the writer of Hebrews, and I, I really took this to heart too, because this is important. Throughout the book of Hebrews, he's always reminding us of the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ and how great he is so that, you know, when we go to him and, and we realize, wow, we could go to no one higher, no one better, no one than Jesus Christ. But you also notice that unlike human beings, he doesn't exalt one at the expense of another. And throughout this book, like he's talked about how Jesus Christ is greater than the Old Testament prophets. But he doesn't put down the prophets. In fact, he, he says the prophets were very great ministers and servants of the Lord. Just remember Jesus Christ is better, greater. And then he talks about how Jesus Christ is better than the angels. But he doesn't put the angels down. He doesn't slander the angels to make Jesus Christ look good. He just simply says, just remember Jesus Christ is better. And the same thing with Moses. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 2. That Jesus Christ is faithful to the one who appointed him, as Moses was also in God's house. For he has come to deserve greater glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house deserves greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if, in fact, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope we take pride in. Again, I just want to go back to that. You'll notice he didn't put Moses down at all. In fact, he said a lot of good things about Moses. He's simply saying that Jesus Christ is greater because he's the son of God. Moses was the servant. Jesus Christ is the son. All right. And so it just reminded me, you know, we live in a world today where when one human being wants to get ahead of another, a lot of times they resort to putting that other human being down in order to contrast and make themselves look better. The Bible says that's not the way to do it. And even here, even though Jesus Christ is clearly better than Moses, clearly better than the angels, clearly better than the holy prophets of the Old Testament, they don't go to putting those people down. In fact, they commend them for their service and ministry to the Lord. They just simply say, but Jesus Christ is better. And it reminded you know, just me the importance of that as well. I should never seek to make myself look better by putting someone else down to compare myself to. The other thing we notice again, is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And I just can't stress that enough. That again, we just have to embrace that. Jesus Christ is faithful to us. And we need to remember that. Now, one of the things I shared with you last week is, and again, I'm, I'm not going to be you know, uh, strict about this, dogmatic about this. I believe that a man by the name of Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. And one of the reasons why is because one of the uniquenesses of the book of Hebrews is that if you ever have somebody uh, who's a sailor, a yachtsman, somebody who's got naval background or whatever, there are more nautical terms in the book of Hebrews than any other book of the Bible by far. And that gives us a little bit of a clue as to probably who wrote it because the Bible says that Apollos was from Alexandria. Well, we know the ancient city of Alexandria was like one of the great port cities of all time in the world. And it was right there. And, and so anybody who grew up in Alexandria there obviously was very familiar with the ocean, the sea, 
ports, nautical terms, sailors, all of that. And you see these terms throughout the book of Hebrews. For instance, there's one in verse 6. It's the phrase or the two words, hold firmly. It's a nautical term that means when you're taking that ship and you're steering it to make sure that you keep steering it towards land and towards port. Don't just, you know, let go of the rudder or or let go of the wheel or whatever and just allow that ship to just drift and be carried by the waves and the wind, but make sure that you hold firmly to that rudder or to that to that wheel in order to guide that ship into the port in which that's your goal. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, folks, we need to, throughout our Christian life, even when our faith becomes shaken, we've got to hold firmly to our confidence and hope and not throw it away and not cast it away. Because there's going to be times in our Christian life where because of circumstances coming into our life or whatever, our faith, our hope, our confidence is going to be shaken. And that's when the writer says, be like that sailor that holds firmly and make sure that you're steering that thing even though there are waves against you and even though there's the wind against you and there are obstacles to that, that you are guiding that ship firmly into port, you see. Another thing that verse 6 is reminding us of is this. True commitment to Jesus is demonstrated over the long term, not just in an initial burst. That's why he says in this verse that continuance is the greatest proof of the reality of my faith. That's why he says, Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are of his house if, in fact, we hold firmly to our confidence. Now, it's not teaching us that by holding firmly, we become a Christian. He's just simply saying, you want to assure yourself of your faith and whatever, then the, the, it's just keep, keep going, keep moving forward, keep continuing. That's, that's the best assurance. You see, you and I, if we allow sin into our lives, and we all know folks who, you know, may have confessed Jesus Christ, but, but you know, they got involved in sin and whatever, they, they began to live a life of disobedience and they began to drift away from the Lord. You know, one of the first things to go in that instance is they begin to doubt their relationship with God. That's just a byproduct of it. They begin to lack assurance of their salvation. They begin to truly wonder, you know, am I? and that's all just a natural byproduct of drifting away, and we talked about that nautical term, drifting away from the Lord. That, God uses that hopefully to bring us back to port, if you will, and get our lives back to where they need to be. So it's, it's a, actually a cool thing when we begin to drift away and we begin to sort of doubt and lack assurance and whatever. It's, it's almost just like God gives us those human mechanisms of if I put my hand near a hot burner, you know, it's, like it, it's a way of protection. Actually, being able to feel pain is a protection. If I couldn't feel pain, I could do a lot of damage to myself and not even know it, you know. Uh, that's exactly what can happen when we begin to drift away. So he says, hold firmly to that. And realize, as I've said, the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's over the long haul. And over our lives, we're going to go through a lot of different storms and trials and tribulations and whatever at times. And God is going to balance, according to the book of Proverbs, the days of adversity and the days of prosperity. And we've got to hold firmly to our confidence and to our hope. And the reason we can hold firmly 
is because of the faithfulness of Christ. And he's going to go more on into that throughout this book and develop that, but that's just huge. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been faithful to us. And notice then he ends verse 6 by saying, and you know what? This confidence and this hope is something that we as Christians should take pride in. That, that, we, should, that we should praise God about. And again, it's not that we're, we're boasting in ourselves. We're boasting in this great God who is faithful to us and who has given us this confidence and hope. And the reason we have this confidence and hope is because He's given us these great promises and the Bible says He cannot lie. He's given us an oath as we go through the book of Hebrews. And so the book of Hebrews says that no wonder we can have such hope. In fact, you know what? I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We'll get to this in in a couple of weeks. But go over to chapter 6 of Hebrews. Because I love these verses. And again, nautical terms. Uh, I don't want to pick it up really at the beginning of this passage. I just want to go to verse 18 and 19. Because he's talking here about God giving us promises. And the reason why we can have hope and confidence is because God gave these promises. And so, again, promises are only as good as the character of the person who gives them. I mean, people can make you promises, but if they lack credibility, character, and integrity, you can't really count on those promises. And so the Bible comes along and says, but God has given us promises. And the reason we can count on those promises is because of His character, of His integrity, His credit. He's never lied. He's never been unfaithful. Everything he's ever said has been just as he said it would. And every promise that he's given us is going to come just the way he said it is. So we can take it to the bank, if you will. So that's why he says then to these folks in verse 18 of chapter 6, so that we who have found refuge in him. And I've shared these verses with you already. I hope you found refuge in Jesus Christ. And then, if you have, guess what? You will continually find strong encouragement to hold fast. Same word, hold firmly. To keep steering your ship of your life towards the port, towards the goal, even though there are contrary winds and and waves. To the hope that is set before us through two unchangeable things, since it is impossible for God to lie. And then I love this next phrase, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You see, you and I have an anchor for our soul. We can just sink that anchor of our life down and not be moved and have a stability and a security of our life that people who don't have Christ can't have because we are basing our life and our existence and everything on His promises. And he can't lie, and he's going to come through, and that's the hope that we can live with every day. So the Bible then, back to chapter 3, says, wow, that's a hope we can take pride in, because that hope reflects so well upon Jesus. Now, go back to chapter 3, put your finger there, and then go back with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Way back to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is one of the bigger Old Testament books. To Jeremiah chapter 9. I love these verses. These are some of my favorite verses in the Word. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. If you find Isaiah, then you're almost to Jeremiah. Just keep going. And look at Jeremiah chapter 9. 
And look at verses 23 and 24. The Lord says, Wise people should not boast that they are wise. Hmm. Well, we live in a world where that doesn't happen, does it? Oh, and how about this? Powerful people should not boast that they are powerful. Hmm. And rich people should not boast that they are rich. If people want to boast, they should boast about this. They should boast that they understand and know me. Oh, I just, that's good. That's good. And then notice, they should boast that they know and understand that I, the Lord, act out of faithfulness, fairness, and justice in the earth, and that I desire people to do these things, says the Lord. Wow. See, God says, hey, if you're going to boast, if you're going to take pride in something, take pride in the fact that you understand and know me, that you have a relationship with me. That, that's something to be in the right way. Again, because we can't take any credit for that. That actually just brings glory to Jesus. We're just reflecting glory to Jesus. I have hope, yeah, but that hope was given to me. And that hope I have because God is faithful and, and He doesn't lie and, he, and He's given me these wonderful promises that I can cling to throughout my life. In fact, one of the things that I like to say is that faith believes God's promises, hope clings to God's promises. You see, faith believes God's promises, but there's going to be times in our life where even our faith is shaken, and that's when hope kicks in whenever we cling to those promises. As if you're sort of like, you know, clinging to, to, to something, and again, the wind and everything, and you're just trying to hold on. That's where hope comes in. And you can count on it. It can be that anchor of the soul that you are looking for. All right. Let's go back then to Hebrews chapter 3 and pick it up in verse 7. But before we do, comments, questions, concerns, snide remarks. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Let's go on then. Hebrews chapter... Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Pressing on towards the goal. Yep, holding firmly to that that ship of our life and making sure it gets to port. Because there's going to be so many forces in our life, throughout our life, that's going to try to shipwreck us. And we all know of people who've had their lives shipwrecked. In fact, Paul talks about that even in the book of Timothy, where he says, some have abandoned the faith. And made a shipwreck of their life. Again, using a nautical term there. So that's why holding firmly and making sure that we hold to that confidence and that hope. Satan's going to try to, to say, you, you can't trust God. You know, he doesn't really love you. You know, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. There's going to be other things that come along in our life. All kinds of forces are going to come against us to try to get us to turn our back on the the Lord Himself, but on His promises, on the confidence and hope and all of that. And we've got to hold firmly. And again, that's what was happening to the Hebrews. These people that were being written to here, man, they were going through a tough time in their life. And they needed to be reminded that Jesus is faithful to them. 
He's given them promises that they can sink their anchor down to for that. So then, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, well, that's a very big term. Because that reminds us that every word of Scripture, again, was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. God Himself wrote the Word of God. Because then He goes down to quote this passage of Scripture. God is saying this. This wasn't man's words. This is what God Himself was saying. And the writer of Hebrews even acknowledges that in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Oh, that today... And as we go down through this passage, you're going to see that word today an awful lot. And what that simply means is it's a sense of urgency. He's telling these folks, listen, don't put it off. Don't, if God is speaking to you, if God is working in your life, don't let that go. There is something to be said about when God is working in our life and He's speaking to us that we need to respond immediately. Because if we don't, there's just something there that if we put it off, it almost like it, it, never, we, it just doesn't happen. That's why I tell folks, if God is speaking to you here on Sunday through, through Pastor Lynn or Pastor Ron or whatever, respond immediately. Don't, don't even go out the doors of the auditorium and head towards your car. That's dangerous. Because the longer that you and I don't respond to what we know God is wanting to do, then the more chance there is that we're just going to sort of turn that off. Again, maybe even consciously or unconsciously forget about it or put it on and say, oh, you know, God, you and I, we'll deal with that later. And guess what? Later never comes, does it? A lot of times. So he says, today, please listen as he speaks. And he's reminding us of something. That God still speaks to us today. And He primarily speaks through His Word to us. But He also speaks through the Holy Spirit to us as well, who lives inside of us. And He speaks to us through other people sometimes who come into our lives. He can speak to us through all kinds of things. In fact, we know from the sermon series a couple of months ago, He can speak to us through a donkey, like He did Balaam, you know? So notice what he says. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's going to go back now to the book of Exodus. And he's going to bring out an historical example of what he's talking about that would be very familiar to these Hebrews. In the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, I just want to show you this. If I don't, verse 7, listen today as he speaks to me then what can begin to happen is my heart can become hard. And what the writer is going to remind us of here in this passage is how dangerous it is for our heart to begin to harden to the voice of God. The best thing you and I can do throughout our Christian life is to remain spiritually sensitive to God when He is speaking to us. And, and to not, you know, as He's speaking to us, you know, again, go through whatever kinds of excuses or I'm going to, God, I'm going to get to that tomorrow or um, you and I can talk about that some other time. He says, today, listen as he speaks so that you and I's hearts don't begin to harden. 
Because what he's going to say is, the children of Israel that God delivered out of slavery in Egypt were a prime example of how their hearts and our hearts can become hardened even after seeing all the great things that God does and hearing God speak to us. He says, There your fathers tested me and tried me. They saw my works for 40 years and even before that. I mean, these people begged God to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt for 370 years and finally God sends Moses and delivers them. And what's the first thing they do? The Bible says instead of rejoicing in their newfound freedom, now all of a sudden they're complaining. Well, you know what, God? I sure was good in Egypt. You know, at least we had food and all kinds of stuff back there. And instead of rejoicing, they began to complain. We've got to be careful of that. Instead, you know, it's always like, well, God, you know, that was nice, but it would have been nice if you could have done a little bit more. And it was like the children of Israel were never satisfied with what God did. You know, God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and you'd have thought they would have just been happy for the rest of their life. Instead, no, the first thing they did was complain. Did you bring us out of Egypt to have us die out here? And then, of course, he opens up the Red Sea so that Pharaoh and the approaching Egyptian army uh, would swallow them up. Because God says, I didn't bring you out of Egypt to not bring you in to where I want you to go. You think I just brought you out of Egypt to let you die here? That's not our God. He's faithful. He's faithful. And God is saying, was I not faithful in bringing you out and sending you a deliverer and hearing that your cries? I brought you out. I'm going to bring you in. You've got to trust me. You've got to hold firmly to that confidence and that hope and believe in me. But they never did. They never truly bought in. And it didn't matter what miracles they saw. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They went through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw Pharaoh and his entire Egyptian army be swallowed up in the ocean. Did that bring about this renewed faith and commitment to Jesus Christ? No. That's why I tell people, it's very dangerous to start asking God for signs. God, I need a sign. I need a sign. Because guess what? Signs don't produce faith. If signs produced faith, this generation in Exodus would have been the most faithful generation that ever lived. And the Bible teaches they were one of the most faithless generations. They saw miracle after miracle. They saw Moses come down from the mountain all glowing after being there with God and having the Ten Commandments. You know, just like Charlton Heston. You know how it was. All right? They saw all of that. Did that bring about faith and commitment in their life? No. Because that's not what brings... If, if signs are what bring about faith, then when Jesus Christ raised people from the dead and when His apostles raised people from the dead, there should have been... The whole world should have been filled with faith in Jesus Christ. You see, signs don't bring about faith. Signs, as we talked about last week, confirm... They can be a confirmation, but they don't bring about faith. The Bible says that what brings about faith is just listening to God as He speaks to us and heeding His Word and getting into the Word. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And again, it's not just physically hearing. It's, It's literally applying the Word, heeding the Word, putting my trust in the Word. That's where faith comes because faith has to be exercised in order to grow. Sorry. No, I'm not. Okay. 
Therefore, verse 10, I became, God says, provoked at that generation and said their hearts are always wandering and they've not known my ways. God says, you know what? If they would have ever really known me and had an intimate relationship with me, they would have believed in me because they would have trusted me. But they kept me at arm's length. Because that word known there is very specific. It is the same word that is used for sexual relations between a husband and a wife. In other words, it's saying intimacy at the highest level. God is saying if they would have truly known me as intimately as they could and known my heart, they would have known I would not have abandoned them. They would have known I would have taken care of them. They would have known that I had been faithful to them. But they never took time to truly get close to me to know my heart, to know my ways. And because of that, they were always wandering. Because if they would have truly known how much I loved them and how much I cared about them, they would have known I would have never abandoned them. Same thing is true for us. That's why we've got to get close to God. And we draw closer to Him in many ways. But one of the primary ways is through His Word. Because the closer we get to God, the closer we get to His heart. And the closer we get to His heart, the closer we truly understand how much God really loves me. And even though there may be times in my life where the circumstances and all of that that comes into my life may be turning my life upside down and my ship may be listing from one side to the other and there may be some high waves and there may be some really bad wind, I just got to hold firm. Because I know the heart of my God. And He is not out to destroy me. And if He's allowing these things to come into my life, it is only to strengthen me and to make me stronger and to help me to trust Him even more. Because He has more confidence in me many times than I do in myself. And He's got a wonderful plan for my life. And sometimes in order to accomplish that plan through me, He's got to stretch me a little bit. I can get too comfortable. I can get in a rut. I can get into such a routine... And God says, no, every level of your life is just a preparation for something else. And whatever I'm in now is just preparing me for something else. That's what makes the life with God so exciting. Because it's never stagnant. It never stays still. Whatever you are going through right now, I guarantee you, it's a preparation for something else that God wants to do with you and through you down the road. And then when you get to that level, He's going to start preparing you again for something else. It's always an adventure with God. So, God says, verse 11, As I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. And the reason being is because to enter God's rest took faith. The only way to enter God's rest, and we're going to see this, takes faith. They didn't have faith. They had unbelief. Was God mad? Yeah, God was mad. You know literally what the word means in the Hebrew? It means He was offended. He was a Paul, after all he had done for them, all the miracles, all the signs, all the good that he had poured out upon his people, they turned their backs on him and they wouldn't believe. They kept wandering. And they never really took time to get to know him. It was one of those relationships, and we've all been there. We've all had these relationships in our life where somebody comes into our life and the only reason they are connecting with us and coming up alongside of us is because of what we can do for them. They don't really want to get to know me. They don't really care about me as a person. The only reason that they're connecting with me is because what I can give them and what I can do for them. And sad to say, that's the way a lot of people are with God. God to them is this this person... Just like they have other, that they can just sort of use to their own ends. 
And when they get into trouble and when things aren't going right, they can sort of think they can connect to Him and, and use Him for a while to make things better. But then when things are going well, just sort of disconnect. You know, I, I really don't want to get to know you, God. I just sort of want to use you for my own ends. And we know because we've all been there. We've had people in our lives like that. That's why, you know, isn't it cool to have people in your life, and I realize not many throughout our life are going to be like this, but to have somebody want to be your friend and want to be close to you just because they like you. And it's not what you do for them. It, it, it's, it's not what you can give them. They just love you just for being you and that's it. And I realize, we don't, as we go through life, there, you know, those types of friends and people are pretty few. Well, you can imagine from God's perspective what it's like. And that's why he was so offended. It's like, man, all I'm doing is giving, giving, giving. This is a one-sided relationship. And again, we all know about that. How poor are one-sided relationships where one person, one friend, or you know, one spouse feels like they're always the ones who are giving, 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 and never receiving. God's like, you know what, guys? I'm not asking for much. I'm just, I'm just asking you to love me. Because you, you can't really give me anything anyway. I'm God. I don't, I don't want your stuff. I don't need anything that you... I just want your heart. And sometimes it's like, that's the last thing we want to give God. It's, it's easier to give God stuff, even though that's not really what He's after. He's after our heart. So that's why, and I, oh, I want to make this comment. Rest is not cessation of labor. It is a cessation of self-effort. We're going to talk more about this. Okay, that's what rest is in this context, in the Bible. It's spiritual rest. It is coming to a point in my life where it's not that I'm not doing anything, but I'm not doing anything in my own power and in my own strength, in my own wisdom and in my own effort. It's where I get to a point where I realize I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I'm depending upon you. We're going to do this together. And there's a rest there. And that's why the Bible says that people who even try to work their way to heaven and try to be good enough to get to heaven and do enough good works and try to be good enough people, man, there's no rest there. It's like constantly just like, oh, I just, I got to be good, I got to be good, I got to be good. Well, there's no rest there. Until we come to a point where we realize none of us can be good enough and we have to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and what He's already done by faith. There's a rest there. And I can stop trying to work my way to heaven and I can rest in His righteousness. Well, guess what? After I become a Christian, we can get caught up in that work thing again. And, and, and not just work, because again, working for the Lord is good in the right context, but doing it now, you know, in my own strength, in my own intellect and wisdom, in, in my own power, rather than, no, God, I can't do this on my own. It's going to be you and me, and it's going to be you empowering me to do it. It's a whole different ballgame. So notice then, oh, you know, I've got to give you a good story about this. You know, I'm a history buff guy by the name of Patrick Gordon in 1898 during the Spanish-American War worked at a steel mill. He was a manager. And he watched productivity. And one of the things that he was always interested in was, you know, 
how can we be more productive? And he came to the conclusion as he watched his men work during the day that I think it was originally they were able to like haul, and this was before cranes obviously or anything like that, that they could haul like 12 and a half tons of iron each day. I don't know how many men was involved, but 12 and a half tons of thing. He got the idea. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to start resting during the day because he really believed that if we rest, again, rest is not cessation of labor, but that if we rest right, that we can actually be more productive if we buy in to rest. So, he says, here's, here's what we're going to do, guys. He says, we're going to haul iron for 12 minutes, and then we're going to take a three-minute break. And then we're going to haul iron for another 12 minutes. We're going to take a three-minute break. Do you realize that the same group of men, their productivity went up from 12 and a half tons a week to 47 tons in a week just because they were taking rests and breaks. It actually became, and this is the reason, it actually became our modern equivalent of coffee breaks. Because people realized that, you know what, you can actually get more done during the day if you take a little bit of time to disengage for a minute and rest Clear your mind, rest yourself, and then go back to it. People become less productive whenever they're solid on something for hours and hours and they don't take a break. They become very non-productive. And so that's it's a biblical principle. Again, so rest is not, I don't do anything. Proper rest and the right kind of rest at the right time can actually make us more productive. That's why they say that, and again, America is one of the leading violators of this. That's why they say that America has become less productive because Americans, for the most part, struggle to get the right amount of sleep and good sleep. So that we are, we are having a culture of people who wake up sleepy because they don't get enough sleep, they don't get good sleep when they do sleep, they're not getting rest, and therefore they become less and less productive and less and less sharp over the time. It just, we begin to break down. Well, guess what? God said that a long time ago. Rest. So guess what? Rest. It doesn't mean to be lazy. It doesn't mean not to labor. But it simply means if you and I can be strategic in the times that we rest, we can actually get more done. Remember that story. Alright. So with that said, notice he says in verse 12, See to it. Make it a priority then, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. Because he says, remember the children of Israel. Hey, they saw God work and they saw all the miracles and stuff, but guess what? They still departed from God. They, they still didn't believe. Because remember, unbelief is not an inability to understand. It's not that they couldn't understand. They couldn't grasp what God was saying. They were unwilling to trust what God was saying. That's what unbelief is. And that's why the Bible uses the word evil. You know, we see the word evil, and it's like, ooh, evil. I don't have an evil heart. You know, evil should be reserved as an adjective for people like Hitler and, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein and, and Osama bin Laden. and people. That, that, those are evil people, right? I, I'm not evil, right? Yeah, the word literally means opposed to God in the way he wants to work. Well, guess what? Yeah, Jeff Royce has been evil sometimes in my life. 
Because there have been times in my life where I have opposed the work that God wanted to do in my life. And that's simply what that word means. I mean, we can take it further than that. But in this context, when it talks about an evil, unbelieving heart, it is simply saying a heart that doesn't trust God and a heart that's not willing to let God work the way He wants to. That's evil. Opposed to God in the way He wants to work. And here's the remedy. And this is why church is so important. All right? I'm a church guy. I'm just going to tell you. And for the rest of our time together tonight, I'm just going to talk about the importance of community and why God built the church. Because spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. And God built the church for one of the primary reasons was for verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 3. But exhort one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, each day, as long as it is called today. Again, that sense of urgency. So that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. A couple things. First of all, he says, guess what? The reason why God built community was so it would give us opportunities to encourage each other. And I love this word, exhort. It means to seriously encourage. It means to be strategic about our encouragement. It means to be purposeful about our encouragement. It means to actually, as a Christian, to not only ask God for opportunities to encourage other Christians, but to seek opportunities to encourage other Christians. And in, in, in God's wisdom, and in my getting to know them, to figure out what are the best ways to encourage them. Wow. Guess what? That's a full-time ministry right there. Encouraging other Christians. Do Christians need encouraging? Hello? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I could use encouragement every day. And that's what the Bible says. And that's why when people say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to church. I always turn it around. I say, maybe you don't need to go to church for you. But that's not why God made the church. He made the church so that you could be a part of it to encourage others. So you're being very selfish by not going to church. Because it's not whether you need church. It's you being part of a community of believers so God can use you to encourage other people. Exhort one another. And then I love this. He says, listen, there's not a one of us that is not susceptible to become hardened. Again, going back to that whole thing of if we don't listen to God when He's speaking to us, the Bible says earlier on we can become hardened. And then He gives us another thing that can harden us. He said sin and the deception of sin can begin to harden us. Can I just say this? Sin makes us stupid. Sin, I know I shouldn't say that. Sin makes people do stupid things. You know, sometimes as Christians, you, you look at other Christians and, you, and, and they're, like, they're totally blowing up their life. They're, 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 doing, they're involved with something that's just totally just... And, and you and I are looking from the outside and going, how can, how can they be doing, how can they be justified? What's wrong? You know, how, what are they thinking? Well, guess what? When you begin to go down that path, in a sense, it, it affects your faculties. It affects your reasoning ability. You, you, you begin to not realize what's going on. It's very deceptive because Satan is very deceptive. And not only is Satan deceptive, but the Bible says sin itself, forget Satan, sin is deceptive. The Bible says that one of the deceptions of sin is that sin is pleasurable for a while. See, that's one of the things that can get us. Some people like, 
man, I, I sinned. And when I sinned, I, when I did that thing, I, I thought God was going to strike me with a lightning bolt. And, and when it didn't happen, and, and then when I actually enjoyed what I was doing, and, and it's like, wow. And, you know, and then you begin to think, maybe you got away with something. That's the deceptiveness of it. The Bible says, folk, first of all, you know, no, we don't. But just because God doesn't send a lightning bolt out of the sky, that somehow we're not going to suffer the consequences or ramifications for some choice of disobedience against God that we may know, we, we will. Yeah, God's a merciful and grace, gracious God. And God, sometimes in His grace and mercy, won't allow the full bore of those consequences to come on us. That is for sure. But my friends, sometimes it does. It's just the natural way. And, and I just want to say this. There are consequences to forgiven sin. That's very important. You know, some people think, well, if God forgave me, why do I have to suffer the consequences for it? Where do you see in the Bible where forgiveness and not suffering the consequences go hand in hand? Just like Lynn's great message on forgiveness when he says forgiveness and trust are two different issues. I can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean there might not be a time where I have to allow trust to be rebuilt. It's two different issues. It's like I've always used the example, if I got in my car and, again, took some kind of fit and went somewhere and got drunk and then drove my car and, and committed vehicular manslaughter, if I asked God to forgive me of that sin, would God not forgive me? Yes, He would. As terrible of a sin as that is, to take somebody else's life because of something that I did, would God forgive me for that? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go to jail and suffer the consequences for it, which is right. Hey, you know. So, the Bible says sin is so deceptive that we have to be very careful. And so, one of the ways that we can fight against the hardening of our hearts and the deceptiveness of sin is to allow ourselves to be around other believers who will constantly and continually encourage us in our walk with God. And that's what the Hebrews needed. Because again, these Hebrew Christians were about ready to throw in the towel and give up and they had the pressure was there to give in and give up and say, that's it, I'm done, I'm over, I'm turning my back, I'm, I'm just forgetting this whole thing. He says, don't do it. Christ is faithful. He's there to help you. He's there to give you everything you need. Just hold firmly. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your hope. And oh, by the way, surround yourself with other believers who will constantly be an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. Who will always be there with a word of Scripture and encouragement and, and say, hey, let's, come on, let's do it. I know it's hard, but I'm going to be praying for you today. And, and let's just keep on doing this together. We all need those encouraging people in our lives. We need them, and we need to then in turn be encouraging to others. That's what chapter 3, verse 13 of Hebrews is telling us. For again, he says, verse 14, For we have become partners with Christ if in fact we hold our initial confidence firm until the end. Again, continuance with Christ is the proof of reality. So as it says, Oh, that today... You would listen as he speaks. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For which ones heard and rebelled? Was it not all who came out of Egypt under Moses' leadership? And against whom was God provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did He swear that they would never enter into His rest except those who were disobedient? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Wow. Unbelief is just so huge. They just didn't believe. They just didn't trust. They just didn't hold firmly to the confidence and hope and the promises that God gave them. And because of that, they forfeited the promised land. The land that was flowing with milk and honey. The land that God wanted His people to enjoy. But they never got there because of unbelief. Now let me just practically tie this to us. I believe that God has a rest. And we're going to see this next week, so you come back. God still has a rest for His people today. That's what chapter 4 is all about. And God has a place for you and I. A wonderful place. A place that fits us. A, a, just a place of blessing. A place in what I call that sweet spot of God's will. But here's what it's going to take to get there. It's going to take faith. That generation was faithless. In order to truly enjoy the blessing of God, we've got to believe. Got to believe. They forfeited. And I think, as a pastor now for almost 23 years, how many Christians I have come in contact with who forfeited God's best for their life. Not because they weren't deserving or it had nothing. It's just because they just were not willing to trust God. And believe and go after all that God had for them. I believe God has a wonderful future for every one of you in this room. In order to experience though, all that God has for you, the key is you've got to keep believing. You've got to keep trusting. Even when those times in your life, your faith is shaken, that's when you've got to hold firmly to that wheel and say, God, I'm going to keep trusting you. Because here's the deal. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is trusting a God we don't always understand. And yet, the Bible, God plainly says in His Word, you're not always going to understand what I do, why I do it, and the way I do it. But that's where faith comes in. We've got to, when it rubber meets the road, there are many times in our life where we've got to trust a God that we cannot understand. And maybe some of you folks right now are going through some times in your life and you're like, God, I don't understand. Tonight was for you. And you know what? Even if you're not going through one of those times right now, we will. It's just around the bend, you know. Yeah. So we need it. We need that encouragement. And, and you know, one of the best things you can do for yourself is not only keep trusting God, but strategically, and I mean it, because it, it's the right kind of people. Not just any Christian. Strategically begin to surround yourself with Christians who you know will positively encourage you in your walk with the Lord. That's huge. That's huge. We all need that exhortation. That's why God built community. That's one of the reasons why He built the church. So that as we gather together, and as we connect with each other, and as we build relationships with each other, it gives us opportunity to encourage each other. That's what I want Tuesday nights to be about. I want you guys to be able to come in here and when you leave, say, 
Thank you, God, for encouraging me tonight through your word. That's what it's about. I don't hey, listen, you get you and I get beat up enough out there in the world. You don't need to come to church to get beat back up some more. You need to get lifted up. You need to get built up. That's what God wants to do in your life. God bless you guys for being here. And uh, I'll hang around for a while after we close in prayer. If any of you have any questions or whatever, please feel free to come up and we'll talk. And let's wrap this up tonight, shall we? Again, next week, you know, again, I think we'll be in here, but there's a, there's a little glimmer that we might be down there, okay? Listen, here's something else you can do, though. Some of you have seen those mine cards, okay, around at the info booth or whatever. Man, you know, one of the things I'd like to see us start doing is passing out those cards and inviting people to come. Because the fear I have is when we get to that and then when we get over to the new building, we're going to be in this huge room. We're going to have all this extra space. And man, I want to fill that space up because guess why? I know. And I'm just talking about just the people that come to Cornerstone. I'm going to talk about community people, although they're certainly welcome too. They don't have to come to Cornerstone. They can, they can go to another church on Sunday. They can still be part of this Bible study on Tuesday. I know there's a lot of Christians just here at Cornerstone who could use the encouragement of Tuesday night in their life. They could really use that encouragement. And I want to see them come for that reason. They, they need that. They need build up. They need, the, they need these scriptures in order to you know, keep them going, keep that spiritual tank full. So that's why I want to see the room filled. Because we all need encouragement. All right? Let's close in prayer. God, I, I truly believe that you have spoken to us tonight. Because, Father, your word has said that, that you have. And so, Father, I pray tonight that as you have spoken to us, that we will heed what the writer of Hebrews says here and that we are truly going to listen as you speak. And, Lord, I don't know what that means for everybody because your Holy Spirit can take your word and can personally apply it to every person here where we are right now in our walk with you. And, and just speak to us on the level that you need to speak to us about the things that you want to speak to us about. Lord, I, I just want to say that as I pray to you tonight, I, I just help us to listen to you. To not be like the children of Israel who were delivered out of Egypt, who kept wandering. And Father, who truly never got to know your heart. Lord, help us to know You in a more intimate way. Help us to leave here tonight encouraged through Your Word and by Your Spirit as He speaks to us. And Father, I pray tonight that if there are people in our life who encourage us, may we take the time tonight to thank You for them. That's huge. And Lord, may we be challenged tonight to be encouraging to others. We all need encouragement. And we, we all know how important that is. Help us to be serious encouragers, Lord, when we meet others. Because, Lord, again, remind us that when we impact other people's lives, we are impacting eternity. That's huge. So, Lord, go with us tonight. I just pray that each of us can leave here, Lord, just lift it up tonight. And give us a good week. Give us a safe trip home tonight. 
And Father, I just already look forward to bringing us all back next Tuesday night to once again get into your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, God bless you guys. I love you. You're wonderful. Have a good week. Okay?